ready to take a ride, grab your coffee, and strap yourself in. If you listen, I can hear God's plan. Because the show is about to begin. You're listening, you're listening to the Omega Man Radio Network. Well, welcome everybody. We're Listen, it's an honor when we have Dr. William Sneblin on this program. And uh, how you been since last time, my friend? Well, it's been uh, quite a, you know, I, I had a pretty nasty fall, oh. moving some boxes and threw my back out. I'm pretty much over that except for some internal bruising. But, you know, the body is uh, not invulnerable, and I keep forgetting that. <laughs> Just stay off the roof and, and don't be up cutting any branches with a chainsaw. <laughs> oh, no. I Believe me, I'm kind of afraid of heights, so I Woo. would never do that. Uh, Plus, I'm you know I'm I've only used a chainsaw a few times in my life, and I, I wouldn't want to try and do that either. I had an uncle who was uh, cutting some trees down with a chainsaw, and he was in the tree at the time, and he cut the wrong branch, and down he went, broke his back. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> that I'll sounds leave, like something out of a cartoon. I mean, pardon me for saying I'm that. I'm telling you, I'll leave that to the professionals myself. Uh, well, praise God, and I think since our last program. Um, Israel has come under tremendous attack by Hamas, and uh, I'm, I'm, why don't we start off by, why don't you lift up uh, Israel tonight, Brother William? Well, certainly. Father, we just, uh, our hearts are grieving for what has happened, like, first of all, on October 7th. Uh, we do, I mean, every day I pray for Israel and, you know, Shalom, Shalom, Yerushalayim, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but we do pray you would protect the Jewish people, and also, you know, the Christians that that are in the Holy Land. There's thousands of them, of various, you know, kinds. And and we just cry out to you for mercy and for a speedy end to this, because we know that this this battle that Israel is waging and trying to get into Gaza and and find these, you know, evildoers, it's making Israel look really bad in the international community. And the anti-Semites are just, you know, making hay out of it. And we just, we pray, Father, that you would bring a speedy end to this, a just end to this. And and we ask you would protect all of the IDF soldiers and all of the, again, we pray for also all the Christians and innocent Jewish people there. And, and I know there are some Christians in, in Gaza, and we pray for them as well. Father, please give give the nation's leaders temperance and wisdom so that they don't start World War Three. Uh, and we just ask for your protection for for America because we we also understand that there are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of of terrorist types coming into our country through the southern border and maybe even the northern border. And you know, it's it's just terrible situation. So please. Give us strength, give us wisdom, help us all to have our spiritual armor on and and be prepared for what is coming. And give us intel. Father, speak to your servants and let us know if there's something special we are to do or um, whatever. And we also pray for our families, for Shannon's family and his ministry for protection, and for my family and with One Accord Church Ministries and our protection especially as we're doing this this broadcast because we'll probably rile up some demons somewhere with it. So I'd be kind of disappointed if we didn't. Hallelujah. Anyway, Father, please anoint me 
to share what you want me to share. In the mighty name of Yeshua, HaMashiach, Amen. Thank you, my friend, for blessing Israel. Folks, Genesis 12.3, you want a blessing of God, bless Israel. If you want the curse, then curse Israel. And I don't recommend you do that. Um, no. You know, Brother uh, Bill, before we get going, uh, just a quick comment. You know, all in the news are talking about the West Bank this and the right of the Palestinians to a nation. And I looked at the map of the area of Israel and to the west of the River Jordan. You've got this circle that the Palestinians are claiming is their rightful land. Anybody who would believe that doesn't know the word of God because I'm reading in Joshua just this week where Moses told Joshua under the command of the Lord to cross the river Jordan and inhabit the land. And this area of the West Bank, that belongs to Israel. Even Gaza belongs to Israel. Doesn't Israel have a right to every square inch that God has deeded them in his word? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, if you if you look at it, I, I did a whole teaching on this a few years ago. And, you know, the area that actually is part of the Abrahamic covenant goes all the way almost to the Euphrates. So yes. it encompasses, you know, what today we call Iran and Iraq to the east, you know, and, of course, the Mediterranean to the west. And you're right, all the way down to the borders of Egypt, which is, of course, the whole Gaza area. And it actually goes up north up to what, you know, is now called Turkey. You right. know, Lebanon would actually be part of Israel. So, you know, it's a it's a bad situation because of course all those areas and I'm gonna kinda get into some of this today, but they're they're inhabited by people that are just you know, they hate Israel and they want to destroy it. Absolutely. They don't want just a place of their own that they're not entitled to, incidentally. They're not entitled to the land that God has given to Israel. That's the land they want, but they want to—they want all of Israel. They want to destroy every last Jewish person and put them in the sea, uh, paraphrased. So this is diabolical, and it's been going on a long time. And we've got to stand with Israel like never before. Well, with that, I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, my friend. We're excited to have you. you got all the time you want. Thank you for coming on. Okay, well, hallelujah. Um well, I just I want to start out by saying that, you know, looking at the world right now, I mean, you know, we got like Ukraine and we got this thing in the Middle East, which is the most, you know, powder keggy thing of the bunch and, you know, other things as well. It's but I want people to understand that that humanity is kind of like being ants in an anthill in the middle of the Battle of the Bulge. You know, just some huge battle with armor and artillery going off over their heads, and these ants are running around trying to, what's going on here, you know? And by that I mean there are vast spiritual powers behind these wars, and things that probably 95% of the population do not understand, and I'm, I'm certainly not claiming to ha- have all the answers about it. But I, I think if we <clears throat> explore this, we can pray better, we can pray more effectively, and we can also act to the extent that we're able to more effectively. So let me just start out by, you know, wetting your whistle a little bit. What if I were to tell you that all the violence in the Middle East is mostly due to ancient dark powers that are thousands of years old? 
number one. I would also say, what if I were to tell you that there are pyramids on the planet Mars that have a total impact on what's going on in the Holy Land right now? And thirdly, what do the cities, these are coastal cities of Tyre and Sidon, mean in terms of Bible prophecy? Okay, that's I'm kind of setting the stage there. Wow. So I want to, sorry? I said, wow, you got my attention. <laughs> okay, well, here's the, we're going to start out, we're going to do some Bible stuff here. Hallelujah. I'm going to Ezekiel chapter 26 and verse 3. And, you know, the prophet speaking says, Behold, I am against thee, O Tyrus, and cause many nations to come up against thee, as the sea causes his waves to come again, come up. And again, Tyrus is a seacoast city. And they will destroy the walls of Tyrus and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. Now, you got to understand that there's a kind of a play on words here in the Hebrew. Because the Hebrew word for tire, Tyrus or Tyre, today we call it Tyre, uh, but in the King James it's Tyrus. In Hebrew that word is Zor, you know, Zadik Vav Resh. And the Hebrew word for rock is Zor. And, you know, we understand that, that Yeshua is the Zor of Israel, the rock of Israel, the rock of ages. So just just bear that in mind. So skipping down to verse 13, for the sake of time, he is saying, the Almighty is saying to his prophet, and I will cause the noise of thy songs to cease. Again, speaking to Tyre, the songs of thy harps will be no more heard. Okay, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's kind of like what we hear in Revelation 18 about Babylon the Great. Because like so many things in the Bible, Babylon is both a real city back in those days, and it's also a metaphor, a symbol. But here we also see Tyre, Zor, as a symbol too. Just like elsewhere, like in, in several of the other prophets, including Jonah, we see Nineveh as the symbol of a wicked city, an unrepentant city. Okay, then we're going to go up to verse, uh, pardon me, chapter 27, verse 2. Now, thou son of man, he says, take up a lamentation for Tyre. Verse 3, and say unto Tyrus, O thou that art situate at the entry of the sea, which art a, art a merchant of the people for many isles, thou hast, thus saith the Lord God, O Tyrus, thou hast said, I am of perfect beauty. Now, he's talking here about how they're going to fall. Because of their excuse me, because of their pride. So going down to verse chap sorry, chapter twenty eight, verse two. This is where we get into the real important stuff. Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith Mariah the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man and not God. Though thou hast set thine heart as the heart of God. Okay, arrogance there. Now, 
who is this Prince of Tyrus? Well, I think probably you and your listeners understand the idea of angelic principalities being over every kingdom. You know, we see that in Daniel, the idea of there being a Prince of Gracia, and of course, Michael, the archangel, is the, is the chief principality protecting Israel. Things like that. Well, this is talking to, this prophetic rebuke is talking to the angelic principality over Tyrus. All right? And you'll notice here, this whole thing, you've, you've said, I'm a god and I sit in the seat of God and all of this stuff. This is a very common thing you hear from people now. I am God. You know, it started with that whole wacky New Age movement back in the 80s, you know, with like Shirley MacLaine saying, you know, I am God. And now, you know, we've got this burgeoning movement among, you know, people rising up that are supposedly atheists. And, of course, you know, atheists aren't really atheists. They're just people that believe they are God. They believe they are in charge of their own lives, and that they're basically their own little demigods or whatever. So so many people nowadays believe that stuff. It's, it's garbage, but they believe it. So he's talking here to both the physical ruler of Tyre, some earthly king, but also to the spiritual ruler. And the next verse, verse 3, is kind of what I like to call divine sarcasm. Okay, behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide from thee. With thy wisdom and thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. And again, doesn't it sound a lot like, you know, Babylon and Revelation 18? By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic hast thou increased thy riches and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Therefore, thus saith Adonai Eloheinu, because thou hast set thy heart as the heart of God, behold, I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. Now, that was verse 7. Now, then over in verse 11, we get a slightly different tone. And it says, moreover, the Debar Elohim, the word of the Lord, came unto me, saying, Son of man, Ben-Adam, take up a lamentation of the king of Tyre, and say unto him, Thus saith Adonai Eloheinu, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now this, notice the other guy was a king. This is pardon me, a prince, this guy, this entity, whatever it is, is a king. And as I think you'll see as we go forward, this is a fallen celestial being of a very high order. The king of Tyre is Lucifer. Now, of course, that's his name in in Latin slash Greek. His Greek name, is his original Hebrew title here is Helel ben Shachar, you know, the son of the howling morning. And Lucifer, we know from other passages, was totally beautiful. He was not an angel. That's a common misconception. He's not a fallen angel. He's a fallen cherub, as we shall see. And as you look at all of this, you know, understanding 
for lack of a better word, angelology. Because there are people, this is what they do. They're theologians, and all they do is study angels. And um, anyhow, um, cherubs, cherubim, which is the plural, are the second highest order of angels. There's nine orders of angels that we find in the scripture. You know, angels, archangels, thrones, dominations, so on. And he, the, the cherubim are the second highest. The highest order of angels are the seraphim. And they're the ones, of course, in Isaiah 6 that we see. All they do is fly around the throne of, of the Almighty and say, holy, holy, holy. You know, we know all about that. So this cannot be a human king, this king of Tyre. I'm going to show you why anybody's doubting this so it says about this king thou hast been in eden the garden of god every precious stone was thy covering the sardius topaz and the diamond the barrel the onyx the jasper the sapphire the emerald and the carbuncle and gold the workmanship of thy tablets and thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou wast created now Let's step back and ask, was any human king in the Garden of Eden? No. I mean, you know, that would be Adam and Eve, that's it. And you, I suppose you could say in a certain sense that Adam was king of the world because he was, you know, the only, the only man on earth at that time. But they were kicked out. And remember that it was a cherub that was set there after they were thrown out of, the, of paradise to be there with a flaming sword which turned every which way to keep nobody else, anybody else from ever getting into the Garden of Eden. So, now, it's interesting that some people believe, and I don't know if you, if you, where you feel about this, Shannon, but that looking at that verse, it almost appears like Lucifer was a living musical instrument. Right. You know, it talks about him having tabrets and that basically means tambourines and i tell people you know it's almost like you know you don't see these much anymore but you used to see like at state fairs and stuff these these guys that are like a one-man band and you know they have a drum set and they have things they blow on and they have you know this and that all in one guy you know well that's kind of what he was like except on a much more incredible awesome scale and some people believe that he was the master, the choir master of the heavenly choir before he fell. So, you know, very much a musical entity. Now, here's, here's something that's really important. In verse 14, <clears throat> again, speaking to this entity, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast on the holy mountain of Elohim, Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, again, this doesn't sound like any kind of earthly realm. We're talking about an entity that was in the Garden of Eden, probably before Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. And it's important, one other thing to understand about this passage. We hear so many people, especially in the charismatic movement, talking about the anointing oh i gotta go get the anointing you know and they're running here and there and going to different preachers and conferences and i gotta get the anointing you know well most of these people do not understand that there is more than one anointing 
There is a divine anointing that comes from the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, which, of course, is wonderful. But there's also a, a diabolical anointing, a counterfeit anointing, that comes from this very verse. You know, Lucifer has an anointing, and he is more than willing to pass it on to gullible people that don't have discernment, that are not careful about whom they let, you know, put hands on their head, so to speak. And that's that can be dangerous. We talk about this in Blood on the Doorpost, our, our kind of flagship book on spiritual warfare, that that if you're just running around in a lot of these churches, they'll just have everybody lay hands on everybody, and you can transfer the Holy Spirit that way if if God wills it. But you can also transfer an unclean spirit in the same way. And, you know, especially if someone, you know, I talk a lot about people having a spiritual immune system. Just like we have a physical immune system, you know, that that protects us from illness, hopefully. And in the same way, if we're prayed up, if we put on our armor every day, and, you know, are spending a lot of time in prayer and studying the Bible, we will have a powerful immune system that will enable us to withstand that kind of stuff. Because believe me, I, I got to tell you this, Shannon, I walk, I walk through the grocery store, and I may have told you this story, but, and you see the most totally ungodly things in supermarkets. You know, I mean, the things that are around some people that are evil, that are demonic, and like I'm going one way down this aisle, and the person, and the the person just looks a swarming mass of, like seeing a mass of hornets, you know, of demons, on this individual who, in the physical world, looks reasonably normal. And, you know, when I walk by them, they all go to the opposite side of the guy. You know what I'm saying? It's like they don't want to be near me. And, you know, sometimes I'm not exactly tempted, but I feel like maybe I should just, you know, pray against that stuff and see what happens. But I, I'd be afraid of causing a scene and they'd probably throw me out of the store. But, you know, there are false anointings today, and we need to be very careful about that. And I advise that never let anybody lay hands on you or your children unless you are very confident, you know, like your pastor or elders, if you know them well and you know their situation, be very careful because otherwise it's like a spiritual contagion that can be spread much more easily than any contagious physical disease. So that's critically important. Now the other thing about this verse, it says that he is the cherub, the anointed cherub that covereth. And I, you may have heard me teach about this before, but just to review, I believe and teach that Lucifer was the fifth cherub. You see the four cherubs, cherubim, whatever, in both uh, the beginning of Ezekiel and also in the book of Revelation, the four chayot, the four living creatures that you see you know, around the throne, those are the four remaining cherubim. But Lucifer was the fifth one, and he was over the throne. Just like if you can think about it, these um, you'll even see this to a degree in Christian iconography, you know, paintings and stuff. There's the, the four 
cherubim are holding up the throne underneath kind of like legs, you know, on a, on a chair. And then Lucifer, before he fell, was above. And he's the fifth one. And interestingly enough, in the Bible, if you understand how the numbers are used in Scripture, the number five in the Bible is often the number of death. Okay? Because Yeshua was slain by having a spear go in under his fifth rib. And also, several other Bible characters like in the Old Testament were slain by having a spear go under their fifth rib. And finally, and this is sort of one of those kind of, maybe it's significant, maybe not, but the first time someone is killed in the Bible, it's Genesis chapter 5, verse 5. Now, I know people go, oh, well, there weren't, Bible verse numbers back then and, you know, whatever. You know, it's the King James Bible that's good for me. Now, the other thing is it says that he walked amidst the stones of fire. And obviously, if you go to Tyre, and I've never been there, but I don't think there are, you know, stones of fire sitting around in Tyre. So I, again, submit to you that this is a extraordinary spiritual place. It is the Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. So, what can we draw from this? And, and it's, it's, you know, some people believe, and I find this kind of compelling. I don't like teach it as dogma, I mean, goodness sake. But, you know, the fact that there may have been a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Are you familiar with that, Shannon? Sure, absolutely, the yeah. gap theory. Yeah, and uh, I just tell people it has nothing to do with the story you see in the mall. Nothing like that. But that there was a world ruled by Lucifer before he fell. And that world was between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And some people even say that perhaps that world was, since Lucifer is like a serpentine being, I mean, he's always associated with snakes or serpents or dragons, maybe it was a world of reptilian entities which we have found as fossils of what what are called dinosaurs today that may or may not be but here's the interesting thing if you go over and compare the verses i'm just reading with isaiah 14 we are told there that lucifer had a throne and then he wanted to take that throne and exalt himself above the stars exalt himself above the throne of god again pride and what was his throne? Well, I would submit to you that his throne was that he was the ruler that the Almighty had appointed to be over this world before he had to end up destroying it in Genesis 1, verse 2. And that's why the world in the second verse of the Bible is described as, in Hebrew, as tohu vabohu, I mean, like chaotic, full of chaos. And, you know, the Almighty does not make chaos. He makes everything good. So to me, it seems pretty sound that something happened between the first and the second verse of the Bible that we do not, apparently the Moses or whoever didn't feel it was necessary to elaborate. So the other thing I would say is when, you, when we see that the Almighty created Adam and Eve, he did the first commandment. He said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. 
Well, if you think that this was the first earth, what are they replenishing? Because, you know, like, it, that implies that there was something, if you will, plenished originally, and then they're having to redo it. And, you know, the other thing that's very interesting is the same word, both in the King James Bible and in Hebrew, is used for Noah. After the flood, God gives the same exact command, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And there we understand what's going on because everything was wiped out in the flood. So I think there was a a a world in there that we may not ever understand until we come to eternity. But something was going on there, and it was something evil and involved Lucifer, and the Almighty had to destroy it. That's why there was chaos in verse 2. Okay, moving along. Here's, of course, famous passage in verse 15, talking again of the king of Tyre. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. Now, again, this whole, you know, I, I've debated with some atheists, and they talk about, well, if God is good, why did he create evil? He didn't create evil. Evil is, is nothing. You know, it's like saying darkness. Evil is the absence of good. It's not really a thing in and of itself. You can't create it except if you're a human being and you do evil. If you kill, if you steal, if you rape, then you're creating evil. But that is not what the Almighty has done. And the word there, iniquity, again, that means lawlessness. And, you know, we know that in the New Testament that, that the, the Antichrist is called the, the lawless one, etc., etc. So he was lifted up with pride. And, you know, by the multitude in verse 16, of thy merchandise they have filled thee. In the midst of thee with violence thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, in the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. So he was cast out. And please remember something here. You know, I hope your readers, listeners understand this, but... When we're talking about a cherub, we're not talking about a chubby little naked baby with wings flying around. You know, forget about Valentine's Day. The real cherub is a winged bull. That's why you see all of these pagan cultures and, and even right up to, you know, Exodus 32 and the golden what? The golden calf. All the, you know, all these different cultures in the ancient world, they worshipped the bull. And that's because the devil is basically a lot of bull, you know, pardon the pun. But because uh, if you look at these ancient sculptures that go back thousands of years, you will see winged bulls all over, like, you know, some of these ancient cities in, in Iraq and Iran and so on before the, you know, were destroyed. So this is his fate. Now think of this. This is this guy who was just, totally lifted up in himself, and now the Almighty is telling him you'll be the laughing stock of the entire universe. And in a way, I think that's a worse fate for him than being thrown into the naked lake of fire. 
So the final verse here, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries in the multitude of thy iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic, therefore I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, it will devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth and in the sight of all them that behold thee. So, Satan is basically going to spontaneously combust. And that's this weird phenomenon we see sometimes here, here, down here on the earth. But he's going to be the ultimate crispy critter. And then finally, he's going to be thrown in the lake of fire. And finally, in verse 19, we read, And all thee that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. And thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. So, the question becomes, why is all this happening in association with the city of Tyre? What's the big deal about this geographical area? Well, let's go down to verse 21. There's another passage. It says, Son of man, set thy face against Zidon, and prophesy against it. Now, today we spell that Sidon with an S, but in the King James, it's Z-I-D-O-N. And this is another city on the coast, just a little north of Tyre, about 15 miles. This was back in the day, it was northern Israel. Today, this is in Lebanon. Now, here's where we're going to go into the deep stuff. When I was a Satanist, and I think most of your newers know about that, but I, I was in the Church of Satan. I was in the, you know, several hardcore satanic groups and all of that, sold my soul to the devil and all of that before Yeshua saved me. In any event, as a Satanist, you learn that over there in the Middle East, there are nine dark obsidian towers scattered over that region. And two of those towers, one of them is in... Zur, uh, Tyre, and one of them is in Sidon. And then they form a giant nonagon. In other words, a nine-sided space all over the area where partly in Lebanon, partly in Iraq, partly in Iran. And these... Get that. Could you try again? Oh, be quiet. Anyway. <laughs> stupid phone. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, the, uh, this is, these are power places. These are gates, and they are called the Nine Towers of Shaitan. Now, that's the Arabic word for Satan, Shaitan. Okay, and why are there nine of them? Well, this is something also that's not well understood. The number nine is the most sacred number in Satanism. Why is that? Well, you'll find that within within the satanic hierarchy, there's nine levels. They talk about the nine circles, and you see this all the time. And the reason is that the number nine, they say, is the most selfish number. Now, what does that mean? Well, what it means is, a little bit of math here, no matter what you do with the number nine, it always reduces itself to nine. So, for example, if you go and you take, you multiply nine times three equals 27. And you look at 27 and you add the two and the seven, you get nine. You go nine times 12 is 108. You take that and it's 108. 
That's nine. You always go back to nine, no matter what you do. It's like the ultimate black hole of numerology. It's like this selfish force that sucks everything else into it, kind of like things going down the drain. So the satanic hierarchy believes that it's the best possible symbol and the best possible power number. So in any event, these one of these towers is over Tyre and one is over Sidon. And they've been here for thousands of years. They're, 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 um, they're made out of solid obsidian, which is a very black stone. They're shaped like trapezoids, and they're a couple hundred feet tall. But they're, they cannot be seen by anyone unless that individual has given themselves over to the worship of the devil entirely. And then, I don't know if you ever heard the expression, the beatific vision. No, sir. Well, it's something that's used like, typically, I mean, with my background in Catholic theology, it's used to describe what happens when you go to heaven and you can see the Father. They call that the beatific vision. That, you know, we were told that in the Bible that nobody can see, you know, the Almighty here in this world. I mean, the, the Father because they would just be destroyed instantly. Well, this is the the satanic counterfeit of that. They believe that you become, you have possessed what they call the infernal vision if you're totally sold out zealot to the evil one. That if you go over there, you will be equipped to see these towers and to use these spiritual gates to acquire very, very high-level magical power. And again, this is this is in the Middle East, and this has been there forever. Now, you might ask, where do these things come from? Well, we don't entirely know. But we do know that there was a very ancient cult that ruled over these towers that were called the Etsides. And that was in this part of the world, in the Holy Land. And this is long before, you know, the time of Christ, maybe even before the time of, you know, the kingdom of Israel. And they are an ancient people who lived in the mountainous regions in Turkey, in Syria, in Iraq, and Iran. And these these weird people, these, these are probably the earliest manifestation of outright Satanism worship, okay? And... You know, obviously there were people around there that worshipped Baal, that worshipped Moloch, you know, all of that. But they 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 thought these were benevolent gods, you know what I'm saying? However, these Yitzhidis believed that their deity, who was Shaitan, was their ultimate god. And they, there was a secretive cult because they knew that if they let it out that they were devil worshippers, they'd be killed, even by the other pagans, you know, and so on and so on. And to this day, this group still exists, and they're, of course, being heavily persecuted by the Muslims because, you know, they're considered to be satanic heretics. So anyway, this cult worships a deity that they call Melitos, which is Arabic, and it means the great king. And he's also called the Peacock Angel. And But within the circle, within the inner circle of this group, they understand that this is Shaitan, 
But they kept the name a secret, and they call him Melektos, which means great king. It is still very powerful over there. And if you, you know, if you understand how this stuff works, when you have, you know, I, I've talked in the past, and I'm sure I've talked on, on your program, about the idea of an egregore, a thought form that, that originates when people start worshiping something. You know, any you know, Baal or whatever, you know. And the more people worship, the longer they worship, the more people that worship, the more power this particular thing gets. And what this quote unquote thing is, is a demonic entity and even probably a fallen angel. That is this Melek Toss, the peacock angel. That's what they call him. And you can you can read books on this group. I mean, there's actually a book out, I can't think of the author right now, called The, the Peacock Angel. So, the thing is, people might ask, well, why? what's the deal with the peacock? Well, think about it. Well, even to this day, what, when we think of a peacock, we think of pride. You know, we even have an expression in the English language, proud as a peacock, because he's the male peacock is strutting around, you know, and he spreads those glorious feathers and he puffs out his chest and he's showing off for the girls, you know. <laughs> and it's the ultimate symbol, at least in the bird kingdom, of pride. And, of course, you know, we're told in Job that Leviathan, you know, another form of Satan, is the king over the children of pride. Now, this cult has been around for thousands of years in different forms, and its influence undergirds everything in the Middle East in ways we do not understand. It's far older than Islam, and it's even older than than the Jewish religion. Uh, when we worship Yeshua, you know, we learn in Psalm 22.3 that he comes and inhabits the praises of his people. But in the same way, when devil worshipers worship Satan, again, because he's the counterfeiter, he comes and inhabits his people and their temples. Now, let me give you proof of how powerful these people were and probably still are. I, I imagine you're old enough to remember Iran before the Ayatollahs came in, right? I've you know. seen, uh, yes, yes, sir. They, they, it was ruled by the Shah of Iran, right? Who was kind of a, a corrupt despot of sorts, uh, and Jimmy Carter, our wonderful president. <clears throat> anyway, he arranged for the Shah to be overthrown, and what came into that power vacuum was the Ayatollah Khomeini, which of course was not a good deal. But anyway, that was one of his many great decisions as president. But what a lot of people don't know is that this this Shah, when he was in power, because he had these fancy, I mean, you can probably Google and see pictures of him. He had this these glorious robes that he would wear and this high pointy crown. And, and the robes actually looked like the feathers of a peacock. And he would sit on a throne when he was like, you know, in state, kind of like the Queen of England. Um and it was called the peacock throne because it was made to look like a stylized peacock. And that's the echo of this ancient cult that was even percolating up through the ages into relatively modern-day Iran. And then is it any wonder 
and again, this is these are devil worshippers. And is it any wonder that things started exploding? You know, some people because of course when when the Ayatollahs came in, they destroyed this because they you know, rightly so they thought it was an idol. And some people have said that when he did that, he released this torrent of evil that was trapped inside of this throne, kind of like a spiritual storage battery. And you got to be careful with this stuff. So anyway, the other thing that happened that sets in on this is relates to back to Genesis 6. And, you know, I think probably your, your listeners know you know the the story there that it says that the sons of God came down on daughters of men and found they were beautiful and took of them wives whoever they chose and you know of course a lot of theologians say oh those are just the, the children of of the of Seth that isn't what it says it says the benai Elohim the sons of God and these this phrase benai Elohim sons of God is only used in the Bible about angels, like it's used in Job, where it talks about, you know, that the, um, you know, the sons of God rejoiced when the stars were put out there. And the word again is benai Elohim. So to try and say that this, what was going on, was just the the holy, uh, pardon me, the holy descendants of um, Seth marrying the wicked daughters of Cain, no, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make any sense. The wickedness that was so great, and of course, if you look at a little bit more in there, it says that the the children that were coming, that they were in the Philom, which is translated giants, and they were the mighty men, the men of renown, and I tell people that what we're talking about here are human women either marrying or else being raped by these fallen celestial beings and their offspring were either monstrous or else they were like kind of demigods. And if you know anything about the mythologies of the Mediterranean, you've got heroes like Hercules, who's probably the best known. He was the daughter, pardon me, the son of Zeus by a human woman and there are other examples of that and you know you know there's all these different gods and a lot of them are actually the children of fallen angels and human women and uh there are sources okay back up there are ancient writings that are not in the bible most notably the book of Enoch, the first Enoch. And I don't know if you've ever studied that or not, but it's got a lot, it really fleshes out what's going on in Genesis 6. I don't think it's scripture, but I think it's an interesting thing to look at. And what it says is that on the plains of Sidon, near the foot of Mount Hermon, this is where the gods first came down on their chariots and cohabited with human women was in that this very same area. They called them the star people. These, these were so-called space gods. And, you know, a lot of, you know, like these ancient alien people and stuff like that, that guy on the TV show with the weird hair, they will say, oh, well, these were UFOs. 
that came down and they were genetically engineering the human race and blah, blah, blah. Nah. These were fallen angels. And it's important to understand that they were fallen celestial beings. They were fallen principalities and powers. And they were entities of incredible power and incredible knowledge. And, and the proof of that, again, right in this same area, there is this um, temple that still stands more or less to this very day. It's called Baalbek. And it's in that same region at the near the foot of Mount Hermon. And this is this is one of the largest structures on earth. And it's a temple to Baal. And it is so immense you can see it from space. Like, you know, supposedly from the International Space Station. Just like you can see there's a few, you know, human structures like the Great Wall of China, etc. This is one of those. And there are stones. I mean, you can, again, look it up on DuckDuckGo and get photos. There are stones that are part of this temple that are like twice the size of a bus. I mean, they're enormous. They should have pictures of men standing next to it, and they're like, they look like insects. And these stones, even though over the centuries, you know, different different groups have come in and tried to destroy it, uh, it's still kind of standing. And, of course, now it's considered to be a, you know, what do you call it, an architectural treasure, whatever. But the stones are put together with such incredible precision that you can't even get a knife between the stones, even though the stones themselves weigh hundreds of tons. And, of course, the question becomes, kind of like the Great Pyramid, who built this thing? Who had the technology, you know, 3,000 years before Christ to, to move around stones that were like hundreds and hundreds of tons and to, to build a temple to a false phallic god? Well, somebody did, and I would submit to you that, they were fallen angels and had fallen angel technology to do that. Now we're going to go way to the edge here with something. But I don't know if you recall, way back in the late 80s and early 90s, we sent a probe to the planet Mars and it took pictures of Mars from orbit. This like from 150, 200 miles up. They, they, they traveled over the plains of Mars, took photos, and sent them back to Earth. And when these came back, a lot of people were kind of surprised when they were made public that on one of them, there appeared to be a giant human face staring up at you. Do you remember that? Sure, the face on Mars. I remember. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, NASA, which is you know not known for being very truthful, denied, of course, that it was a face. They said it was a trick of the light the time that the thing was taken. But there was this journalist, Richard Hoagland, who did landmark work on this, and he proved solidly that it really was an incredibly big face. It's like five to seven miles across. And what's even more strange about this is if you – and again, you can look this up. I'm sure they have pictures of it on you know Google or whatever – is that it looks remarkably like the face of the Sphinx, the famous Sphinx in Egypt on the, 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 the plains of the Great Pyramid. 
even to the point of the head covering. You know, you, you see the Sphinx has this Egyptian kind of headdress thing on. Well, this face, given that it's probably been eroded over the centuries, has a very similar head covering. But again, the question becomes, who built this thing? You know, I mean, it's on another planet. And around this, in the, in the pictures, you see some little bumps. Now, NASA says those are um, mountains, but they don't really look like mountains. And this Richard Hoagland guy, he did a lot of work. He, he got you know people that analyzed photos to blow them up and all that. It looks like they are pyramids. And there are, I think there's three of them, if I recall, nearby this giant face. And what's really kind of going to bake your noodle, so to speak, is that if you take a satellite image of the Giza Plateau, where the Great Pyramid and the Sphinx are, you will find that those three bumps exactly correspond to the position of the three pyramids in Egypt. Even though one is on Earth and the other one is on another planet. And this Now, here's the other thing. Long before anybody, this is like back in the 19th century, you know, astronomers like Herschel were um, looking at Mars. You know, they had this idea that there were canals on Mars because they could, through telescopes, see these these lines that looked like they were green. And anyway, they, they named, now this is, this is what's going to really amaze you, where they found that, you know, what do you call it, the face, etc., you know, a hundred years before, they named that plane on Mars the Cydonia Plane. So it, it, the only difference is it's spelled with a C instead of an S in English. So here's this Cydonian plane on Earth in northern Lebanon where this giant temple is to Baal. And here is this Sidonian plane named by human beings on Mars where this giant face is. I mean, is that just an interesting coincidence or is there more than that? So here you have in this area in Lebanon that is so associated with Satanism and devil worship and space gods coming down and it's called the Sidonian plane. Now, on Earth, the Sidonian Plain is where one of the towers of Shaitan stands, and they are made, they are, they are trapezoidal in shape. And have I ever talked about the whole trapezoid thing in Satanism, do you recall? Uh, no, sir, other than maybe you mentioned it in Lucifer Dethroned one time. Or right, something. yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it's a very sacred shape in Satanism. It's like an unfinished pyramid, kind of like if you took this, the image on the dollar bill and um, you um, – I'm sorry, just a minute. Um, Take that know, image on the dollar bill? you took off the top, you lopped off the all-seeing eye part of it, that would be a trapezoid. Okay. And this is considered to be an extremely sacred symbol to Satanists. And these towers are like energy beacons of evil, and they're all over that area. And why trapezoids? Well, the idea is 
that the the triangle is a common symbol of the Holy Trinity. And so if you lop off part of it, then you end up with, and it's like you're decapitating the Godhead. And they love that idea in the devil-worshipping stuff. So that's the concept there. So looking at all of this and understanding you know how how incredibly evil this this cult was and still is is it any wonder that this region has been so steeped in violence and bloodshed down through the centuries now the evil and violence there is being energized by the presence of these fallen angels and the problem is there aren't many christians left in that part of the world it's a very very dark place See, in the years following the Shah of Iran and his fall, tens of thousands of Christians were either murdered or forced to flee from Lebanon. I mean, Lebanon used to be this beautiful country, Beirut, it was actually compared to Paris. It was so beautiful. And then all these Christians had to flee, and a lot of them ended up in the United States, of course, which is, you know, fine, but it, the whole country just went down at that point. And I'm going to end with this thought. Um, remember the name of Tyre and what it means in Hebrew. Okay? Let's just go to Deuteronomy 32. This is one of the most important passages in the Torah. And it's called the Song of Moses. And I tell people it's really good if you get familiar with this because we're told in the book of Revelation that we're going to be singing this, we're going to be singing the, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb in paradise, in heaven. So in any event, you know, I'm going to skip some of this for the sake of time, but in verse 3 and 4, let me go to 4, talking about the Almighty, it says, He is the rock. His word is perfect for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. And then we go down to verse 30, and this will get to the point. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up? For their rock is not as our rock, even as our enemies themselves being judges and verse 32 for their vine is as the vine of sodom in the fields of gomorrah their grapes are grapes of gall their clusters are bitter their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps we got to be careful here there are two rocks just like there are two anointings and not only, I mean, a lot of you are familiar with the idea that the Catholic Church teaches erroneously that Peter is the rock, you know, described in Matthew 16. But that's not correct because, you know, Yeshua was saying there that the rock upon he would build his church was Peter's testimony that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. So, you know. And the funny thing is, if, if, if you've got Catholic friends that don't like that, well, just point them to Peter's epistle. Because in Peter's epistle, he says, Yeshua is the rock. So, anyway, so there are two rocks out there. One of them is, is of course, 
the true rock, Yeshua HaMashiach, the other rock is not just the Vatican, but also all these other false groups, most particularly this dark ancient cult that is in, you know, what we call the Holy Land, even though it's it's been defiled by so much blood over the centuries. It's just, you know, it's just incredible. And this is, I think, one of the main reasons why there is so much violence in the region is because that area around Mount Hermon is very much like the epicenter of evil. And, you know, one final point I'll make before I close is what's really kind of interesting is if you look at where this area is where the space gods quote-unquote landed, and you look at that line of latitude, and you run it all the way across, you know, Africa, all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, all the way across the United States, guess where that line of latitude goes right through in Western America? Where? Roswell, New Mexico. Oh, boy. Now, again, could that be a coincidence? You know, and I'm sure most of your listeners know that Roswell is the place where this celebrated UFO supposedly crashed in 1947. And I've been to Roswell several times ministering there at at UFO conferences and so on. And I've even been in the hangar where they, they stored the wreckage. Of the, uh, I got special permission from because it's it's an old retired army air base, and the evil, the vibes in that room, and I say room, it's this huge hangar, you know, were so palpable. I really had to pray my heart out because it was just so. And mind you, that all this wreckage was taken out of there and went over to to I forget Patterson Air Force Base or somewhere within just a few days, and yet the evil imprint that was left there was so profound, I could, it it was enough to almost make me vomit when I was standing in the middle of that. Now, take that same idea and carry it back over to the Middle East where where to this very day, this kind of diabolical worship is going on, and of course, you know, the devil loves war. He loves killing. Because every time someone is killed, you know, it he feeds on that. The, the shed blood, he loves that. And, you know, so that's why we need to, you know, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we need to pray for the defeat of evil in whatever form it is. And, you know, we need to come against these things. And, I, I mean, again, I, I always tell this, whether I do in my YouTube videos or whatever, you know, if you're a warfare person in a spiritual sense if you are an intercessor and you are you have you know some time under your belt so to speak uh, some hash marks on your sleeve as a spiritual combat officer i would suggest praying you know first of all for the peace of jerusalem but secondly praying against this yitzidi stuff praying against shaitan, and that's spelled, if you want to write it down, S-H-A-I-T-A-N, and pray that the angelic powers would tear down those towers, because those towers are like storage batteries, and they're like gates into ancient evil. And, you know, the more people that are 
that are that are spreading hatred and violence in that whole region, which we know right now is just boiling over, the more power those things are getting, and the more power the because there are there are high level satanic people, you know, all over the Middle East. You know, one of the nine nine unknown men is in Israel right now, and another one of the nine unknown men is in um, I forget what the capital of oh, Tehran. So you know they're they're over there and they're just feeding up on all this stuff, and we need to pull the plug on it by the power of the sword of the spirit, the battle axe of Elohim, and the arrows of deliverance. Hallelujah. So, uh, again, if you feel called to do that and you're not kind of a young person in, in the Lord, please pray against this stuff and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. What a fascinating talk tonight. What would you like to title this for the archive? Oh, my, I don't know. Um, uh, I hadn't thought, I mean, you know, Ancient Towers of Iniquity. Oh, that's good. I don't know. I mean, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, that is uh, good. I, mean, I wish Mary was here right now because she comes up with the greatest titles ever, you know, but she's she's busy upstairs. So, hallelujah. Uh, yeah, that, the, uh, that'd be fine. The Great Pyramid, the Black Monoliths, and the Ancient Towers of Iniquity. Um, yeah. I like your title. Are you going to be doing more? exposition on this more research coming up i don't i'm gonna try to i've got i've got several major projects on my plate but yeah i'm looking into it further because it just seems as though right now that whole part of the world is boiling over and you know i think the more people we can get praying in fact uh i don't know if i i don't know if i've talked to you since this happened but probably i did but i i really felt an urge from the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to, to tell people back, it was probably the middle of September, that if we didn't pray and pray mightily, that there was going to be an incredibly something really bad happening in the middle of October. And of course, we know what happened on October 7th. And, you know, I'm sorry it came to pass. And now the whole world is like heating up for you know world war three so i i mean we need to pray more i mean everybody needs to pray more and we need to stop playing around and we need to take this thing very seriously because like i opened this this message with we are like ants in an anthill in the middle of a huge spiritual battlefield that we cannot understand but if we pray and plug ourselves into the divine heavenly power line, we can be a critical part of this battle. And if if everybody, you know, within the sound of my voice were to get down on their knees and try and, I mean, I always tell people, try and tithe your prayer time, spend, you know, an hour and 30 minutes a day in prayer, you know, it would change the world. Boy, but, that's you know, truth. people... People would rather go on to TikTok or something. I don't know. Anyway, and I know we're all busy. We all have obligations. But, um, you know, 
I just, very early on, I mean, way back in the 90s, you know, uh, the Rock spoke to me and said, you need to just covenant with me that every morning you're going to get up and you're going to pray for at least 90 minutes. And I started doing that about 1991, and I've been doing it now for, well, let's see, it's 30-some years. And I'm not bragging, because prayer, the funny thing is prayer, I tell people, and I'm sure you get this, Shannon, but prayer is kind of like going to the gym spiritually. You know, nobody wants to go to the gym in the morning. You know, oh, I don't want to get out of bed, or (laughs) oh, I don't want to whatever, you know. And then you go to the gym, and you do it, and then you feel great. And after a while, you get addicted to going to the gym in a good way. And that's why Paul talks about being addicted to the service of the gospel. Well, the service of the gospel is partially, at least, praying and seeking the face of heaven every single day. So, I mean, I don't want to go on and on, but but I think it's, I think right now it's more important than ever that people pray and do serious prayer, not just you know, oh, I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep that kind of stuff. No. Do serious warfare. And if people don't know how to do it, we have prayers on our website, withoneaccord.org, that people can download for free. We have DVDs like Dimensional Combat and the Armor of Light and Resisting Unto Blood. And then our book, Blood on the Doorpost, that are, if you have those three things, you are going to have a profound understanding of the spiritual world and how you can pray and do combat in the heavenly realms more effectively. Boy, those are some great titles. Um, I encourage people to get over to your website. Now, can they support the ministry there too? Do you have PayPal, anything like that? Oh, yeah. We have PayPal, and we're also using Zelle now. And um, on all of our YouTube videos, and we now have over 250, uh, we, um, we put we have a card that we put up that shows if you want to use WePay, you can do that. If you want to use PayPal, you can do that. We have the buttons for PayPal on our website. And then we also have Zelle. And for that, to use that, the nice thing about Zelle is there's no there's no fee. Unlike, you know, both PayPal and WePay, they nick you a couple of percentage points or more. Like PayPal has been getting really bad about that lately. Um but, you know, so many people are used to giving on PayPal. But anyway, with Zelle, what you do is there's an app for it usually, and sometimes your bank, most of the large banks have Zelle. And our the way to give us money is through our web – pardon me, my email, which is S as in Sam, N as in Nancy, E, B as in boy, L, E, N as in Nancy, at gmail.com. And again, we have this information in the beginning and end of most of our more recent videos. Yeah, we really need your prayers and we really need your support. Now, Brother William, also, uh, are you broadcasting a program on a regular basis on the YouTube channel? If so... We're trying to get one out every week. Okay. Yes, sir. They can add you as a friend on uh, YouTube. Subscribe. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing, though. Uh, Yeah, it's Dr. William Sneblin, but we're doing more and more videos that we have to put on Rumble. Okay. They're just, they would get, we've already gotten one, one warning against us on YouTube. Um, and so we're being careful and we're putting things up on Rumble. And uh, the Rumble, uh, I think, is Lion's Den, Dr. William Sneblin. 
good information because you're right. Uh, YouTube is notorious for their bands. Oh my goodness, I know that well. Um, I want to I'll thank bet. you for coming on today. One more thing: what about an email address for you? What's the best way? Well, that's the one I just gave, but it's it's Sneblin S N E B L E N at gmail dot com. Okay, fantastic, folks. If you're coming in late. You're going to want to get this. We'll have it up in about an hour. It's called Ancient Towers of Iniquity, Dr. William Sneblin. Uh, my friend, do you want to close us in prayer? And I want to thank you for coming on today. Yeah, certainly. And I just ask you a favor, if you could, Shannon, could you get us the, the sound file for this as soon as possible? You got it. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Let's pray. Abba Father, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, we thank you for this time we just praise you for your grace and your glory and for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you that even though we look around the world and see all of this war and terror and and confusion, we know that you are Lord, that you are on the throne, that Yeshua has put all things under his feet, and he has spoiled the principalities and powers and put them to an open shame. And Father, we just claim that victory right now for us and our family and for Shannon and his family and for all the people listening to this broadcast, Father, bless them. Give them the victory of Calvary in their lives. And also, Father, just set a fire within their bellies, Abba, that they would feel like they really need to pray more and to really get into the battle and and do more than just perfunctory prayer, but get deep into prayer because, Father, the more they pray, the more they will come to understand the power of, of Yeshua and his his anointing and his blessings and his power and everything. Please, Father, get these people praying. Get these people studying the Bible. And we pray for protection for everybody. And uh, also, Father, we just ask that you would please bless this whole situation in the world. Keep us away from thermonuclear war. Keep us away from all the wickedness that's around us. Protect our families, Father. Protect our communities. Protect the people that are, you know, trying their best to live godly lives in Yeshua. We ask you for all these things, and we claim the protection, your zitzit, your your mantle, that it would be over us and covering us in all things. And we thank you for this in the mighty name of Yeshua HaMashiach, who is Yah, come in the flesh. Amen. My friend, always an honor to be with you, and I'll get this to you inside the next hour. Thank you so much awesome. for coming on Awesome, that would today. be so good. Thank you. We'll see you again soon. Thank Shalom. you, my friend. Shalom. Yes. Thank you.